Welcome to episode eight of the School of Success podcast series with the inspiring and entrepreneurial George Bramble, founder of the award-winning pet company, Beco, which makes unique products for dogs using the best from nature in a sustainable way. Welcome to the School of Success podcast series. My name is Melanie Pritchard, former lawyer turned success coach and corporate wellbeing trainer. And each month, we bring you an inspiring person and message to help you discover the tools for creating happiness in the widest sense. Thank you so much, everyone, for spending some time with me today. Now, without further ado, let the class begin. Richard Branson said, Entrepreneurship is about turning what excites you in life into capital so that you can do more of it and move forward with it. We have a very special guest on today's episode of the School of Success podcast series, London-based founder and CEO of Beco, George Bramble. With a passion for developing fun pet products that are better for your pet and better for the environment, Beco is the ultimate pet lifestyle brand, a one-stop shop for people who want to buy products that are ethically sourced. From dog food sourced from local farmers directly, to compostable poop bags made from recycled plastic bottles. After kickstarting his career on a leading UK grad scheme, George went on to found Beco and successfully run it for over 10 years now, exporting to some 43 markets worldwide and becoming the UK's leading poop bag specialist, selling over more than 10 million bags worldwide. Some of the topics we'll be covering today include top tips for aspiring entrepreneurs looking to start the business including how to choose the right idea in the first place, how to scale a business after the initial years, what are the key challenges facing entrepreneurs today, and what about high-performance habits to boost a brand for standout success. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the lovely George Bramble with us here today, founder of Beco. Thank you so much for being here with us, George. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So um, just a very brief sort of disclosure for our listeners. George and I were actually at Birmingham University together um, some time ago now, George, wasn't it? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. I, I, I hate, yeah, we won't mention how long ago. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you, you don't look very different, George. I'm hoping it's the same for me. <laughs> Oh, well, no, I've, I've lost a lot more hair than you have. <laughs> That's um, very amusing. Well, my hair's still very thick and um, lion-like. So um, let's jump straight in, George, um, with a nice sort of gentle question. I would love for you to share with our listeners um, what you do at Beco and how Beco came to be. Sure. Well, um, we launched Beco about well 11 years ago now 2009 um and ultimately we're, we're a business that um is on a, was on a mission to create 
um, sustainable pet products or as pet products as sustainably as possible. So um, really focusing in on uh, the materials we use and the ingredients we use to make products that um, dogs love, um, but at the same time, hopefully have as little impact on the environment as possible. Awesome. What a great summary. And I love the sort of slogan on your landing page of your website, love your dog, love our planet. It just feels like everyone loves dogs. And obviously the planet is becoming, you know, an increasing, um, an increasingly important part of the global agenda, really. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've certainly seen, um, you know, obviously I was brought up with dogs, passionate, um, passionate about dogs. And so being in a pet industry is, is amazing, is dream come true. Um, the, yeah, the move towards the shift towards sustainability, which is much needed, um, has really grown in the last few years. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we sort of, I think mentioned earlier, the, the pre-Attenborough, post-Attenborough since 2017, um, people have become conscious of, of the fact that they're having, you know, we've got a massive impact as humans, having a massive impact, a negative impact on on the environment and uh, we've got to reverse it pretty quickly mm. um but yeah I, our brand is all about really connecting pet owners with their pets and the environment and enjoying it together and and that's what uh, sort of it's all about getting out out outside with your dog enjoying nature Absolutely. um so that's hopefully what what our customers do sounds wonderful um and obviously george you studied geography at birmingham um how did you sort of come to fall into setting up a business in the pet industry? I mean, it sounds sort of quite random at face value. What was kind of, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, I, as you say, I studied geography and environmental sciences. So kind of how geography is one of those subjects, uh, you know, fondly people call it colouring in, um, <laughs> partly due to the fact that very few lectures. Um, but uh, no, I really enjoyed my time at, at uni and, and came out um, very much focused on wanting to do something that was, I wanted to go into business. My brother was in business. He was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to run my own business, but yeah. I wanted to do something that was hopefully giving back something back, not just taking. And, yeah. and that's kind of where we looked at what, what markets we could go into. And, um, at the time we were in a, the last recession, global recession, and we were looking at trying to look at businesses that there was an opportunity where other people weren't weren't looking at products that were had a, a USP related to, to environment. Mm. And yeah. we looked at pet and baby, and we actually launched in both markets. Um, what we found that they were both a success, uh, but the pet industry, believe it or not, is five or six times bigger than than the the baby product industry. Wow. Uh, we we decided we were juggling too many balls, and we needed to focus on on pets. So. Uh, Beco pet and baby became pet and um and that's how we got into it and uh yeah 10 years on 11 years on we haven't really looked back incredible um and i think i remember reading something staggering about the sort of value of the pet industry and this may have changed george from when we last chatted and you very kindly were interviewed on my blog about five years ago and i think um i think i discovered then that the uk pet product um market is worth or was worth four billion pounds um, and then I read something staggering about the value of the US market. I, I may be making this up, but I think I remember reading it, it was like 62 billion or something. Is, is that vaguely accurate? That, that, that sounds about right. Um, wow. I mean, I, I don't know the exact figure, but they spend a huge amount of money on their pets in the US mm -hmm. and um, are very passionate pet owners. And I think also 
the UK is probably a few years behind the US, um, the UK and Europe. And I think mm -hmm. there's this sort of humanization. Um, I mean, people are looking to buy better, better food for their pets. Yeah, they're looking for better toys. And there's a, there's a part of pe people didn't toys and accessories 20 years ago would have been, a, you know, a metal bowl and a, and a rope lead. And that was it um, mm. for, for dogs. Um, now you can buy anything from um, outfits for dogs to <laughs> you know, fancy dress outfits to, um, you know, sh you know, high end sh organic shampoos. Um, you know, you name it, you can get it. And I think that's probably where there's not necessarily more dog owners. It's just the fact that people are spending more on their pets. Wow. It's kind of heartwarming in a sense, because actually I read something on LinkedIn the other day, George. It was um, somebody from a Chambers, actually, you know, working with barristers, wrote um, about feeling that she'd been bullied when her dog died and she was very upset and asked for a day off and someone very senior was making fun of her, um, you know, obviously equating dogs very much not with losing um, a human being. And mm. um, somebody commented, commented underneath that he felt this was really ironic because dogs give, you know, the ultimate in loyalty and love and unconditional love, really. So it's quite heartwarming mm. to hear that, in a sense, the people invest so much in their, in their pooches. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I think that's it. We, we like to call, um, you know, not dog owners, dog, dog parents or pet parents, because yeah. ultimately, you know, dogs are members of the family. I mean, uh, we got Tarka, my my black lab, I think maybe four months before our, our oldest was born, mm. uh, Wilfred. And so they've been brought up together. So, you know, mm. from day one, Tarka and Wilfred were sort of rolling around together in the dog bed. So, you know, <laughs> Tarka is very much part of the family. And yeah, I mean, for some people, um, it, you know, that's all they've got. So, yeah. um, you, know, the um, you know, dogs are amazing. And as you say, mm -hmm. unconditional love. 100%. Absolutely. There's something quite, um, I'm not religious, but there's something quite divine about them in terms of the positive impact they bring. And um, just to divert very quickly, George, you mentioned, obviously, you've got, um, you know, was it Wilfred? Yeah, Wilfred, yeah. Very cute name. Um, do you think that pets have quite a, a positive influence on children and their development? For, oh, absolutely. And I think there's loads of research I mean, you might know more about it than i do but there has been a lot of research into um the positive um results of having a pet and caring mm. for something when you're a, a child yeah and it's um quite a dark thought but I, I think there was something there was a stat around that said that um you know people that end up getting to serious crime and um you know homicide actually they never had a pet growing up wow and you know, just that idea of caring for a pet, looking after an animal, mm -hmm. uh, I think is a really good thing. Um, whether it's a, a goldfish uh, <laughs> or a dog or anything in between, um, I absolutely think it's great for kids. Um, absolutely. That's really powerful, really great info that you shared there. Um, sometimes I, I feel sad when I hear people telling their, almost encouraging these stories um, with their children of, oh, my little girl's very scared of dogs or beware of the dog because, yeah, because of what you said, I think they're profoundly um, important in our development, really. So coming back to um, to the sort of more sort of business questions, George, I know we have a lot of listeners here who are very interested in potentially setting up their own businesses and will be very, very inspired by what you've achieved. Um, before I ask you some more questions, I'd love to just get like a broad brush overview of the kind of products that you sell. Like what's the kind of broad range and what's your wackiest product? Absolutely. Well, we've, 
yeah, we've got quite a broad range. Um, traditionally, in the pet industry, you've got people that focus on food, and they're a food brand, and you've got people that focus on toys, and they're a toy brand. We've okay. really set out to be a lifestyle brand and essentially a one-stop shop for people that want to buy products that sustainably and ethically source. Awesome. So we do everything from uh, high-end dog food that is um, ethically and sustainably sourced. So we use free-range chicken. Mm. We use MSC certified fish, cotton haddock. We use uh, wild boar. Wow. Um, and we try and source as many of the ingredients from um, either farmer directly or as close to home as possible through a trustworthy supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the food which comes in compostable packaging. We do um, poop bags uh, made from cornstarch plastic that are uh, compostable, biodegradable. Mm-hmm. We do uh, toys that are made, we manufacture dog toys from recycled plastic bottles. Wow. Um, and then we've also got uh, uh, dog bowls made and accessories made from bamboo. So Amazing. we've got a material that's 100% plant-based uh, with a much lower carbon footprint than a metal or a plastic bowl. Um, and it will last for a dog's lifetime in the home. Um, but yeah, has a, a much lower impact on the environment. Um, I don't know if you know about bamboo, but bamboo's seriously cool material. It grows 30 times faster than trees. It wow. absorbs 35% more carbon dioxide and gives off 30% more oxygen. So it's kind of a bit of, it's, a, it's an amazing material to work with. Wow, that's amazing, George. Um, I can see where you got a first in your geography and environmental science degree, you know, reeling off those um, very powerful facts and figures. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I could go on for hours. Yeah, <laughs> It's really cool. I mean, it's great because I don't, I don't know about this kind of stuff. And frankly, when you hear stuff like that, you think, well, why aren't we educated on these things? It's um, really, really important, isn't it? Um, now, as I said, George, the last time we connected was, I think it was about five years ago. And I think you were a very modest kind of guy. But back then, five years ago, um, I know that we discussed the fact that Bico exports to 43 countries and is the UK's leading poop bag specialist, selling more than 10 million bags worldwide. I'm guessing that things may have um, escalated even more since then, but that's obviously a very impressive accolade, really. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, as I say, my parents are very proud of the fact that I'm selling poop bags. (laughs) They made you. You made it. Yeah. No. um, No. It's. uh, It's been. Yeah. A great uh, few years, and um, we're 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 much bigger now. Um, We are still selling in around forty three markets. I think. Yeah. A large. Since we last spoke, we, we've launched into food, which has sort of opened up a, a completely different customer base um, mm-hmm. and also given us that kind of, much like the poop bags, a consumable product where people come back month on month and um, helped us to really sort of develop, um, you know, sustainable growth. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're, yeah, we're, it's, uh, yeah, five years ago, let me think, we are uh probably about five not quite five times bigger but nearly five times three three or four times bigger than we were then so a lot's changed um and uh yeah that that seems a a lifetime ago that's amazing and that's actually so inspiring for me as an entrepreneur to hear as well you know you i don't know about you george but i remember when i started um you know training and coaching and i never imagined that i would have probably even made 300 pounds a month from it because you know sometimes it's hard to imagine Mm -hmm that, you know, growth and success and that sort of thing. Is that something that you can relate to? Or did you always have really big dreams and a real sense of confidence that you would be where you are now, you know, working with, like you say, sort of 43 um, markets and being a leader in the market? Yeah, I, 
That's a good question. I think, you know, there was obviously at times self-doubt, but I probably have that mindset of I always felt I would make it or would mm-hmm. get there. Mm. Um, you know, I think I sort of uh, cliched, but I think everyone who's been on this journey has kind of read Richard Branson's autobiography when they first set out. And, you know, you read autobiographies like that and and they make it sound so, you know, Richard makes it sound so easy. It's just going to happen, you know. Yeah. Then I did this and I made a few more million and then I did that. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I thought I wanted to, I basically wanted to make a difference and build a legacy and build a brand that um, hopefully mm. people would see uh, in like high street retailers and um, nationwide chains and go, oh, you know, that's a, a brand I recognize. And I think through all the highs and lows, it, 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 there were times when, you know, I was talking to um, a friend the other day, I remember the real low point of sitting on top of my previous business partners, uh, parents, warehouse, um, they had an office in a warehouse. Right. And we were the only storage they would give us in their warehouse was on the roof of the office. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting in the office in the middle of the night with headlamps on. Oh my god! And we'd had we'd had these bags, uh, these bowls arrive late uh, from our supplier, oh, and man. we needed to turn them around in twenty four hours. And and they put the, our suppliers put the labels on the wrong way round. And um, so we, this is our Chinese suppliers, they couldn't read English. So they oh. put Biko on upside down. Oh, no. So anyway, we had 24 hours to turn it around and we had, I think, 15,000 bowls. Oh, and we my thought, uh, we'll be able to turn this round in, in a few minutes or a few hours. And of course, inevitably, it took us 24 hours with help. A real <laughs> low point sitting on a roof, stickering bowls. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that was probably a moment of self-reflection. But I, I think you just have to, you know, it's all about layering, isn't it? You, mm. you know, each year you're scaling a bigger number and a bigger business. You've got more people. Mm. And it does at some point start to get easier. I'm not sure if that's what you found or not. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think people are always more sort of um, accomplished than they may think or more resilient than they may think. Um, as they say, I think it's a Winnie the Pooh quote, you know, you're much stronger than you think. Um, and I think sometimes people get scared when they think about, success and wanting to achieve something big but it's all about small steps isn't it and learning as you go you know working with what you have and then acquiring knowledge and not being afraid to fail and sort of make mistakes yeah yeah I I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned and you know I've heard a couple of times from mentors or other business people is you know fail and to fail fail fast so Mm -hmm. it's really good to fail if you fail fast Mm -hmm. because you're learning and yeah. improving the tweaking and I think the biggest danger is where people you know sit back or afraid to make a decision or move forward and I think yeah, yeah you've just don't be afraid to fail um and and keep at it that's that's it really that's such a good that is such a powerful sort of learning for people don't be afraid to fail because it kind of changes everything doesn't it it's like the opposite of perfectionism oh I mustn't do this until I'm perfect at it but actually it's action that builds belief and knowledge and failing sometimes as you say um, have you read the book, George, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, by any chance? No. Oh, you'd really like it. It's really inspiring. I think it's one of the most widely sold books of all time. And um, Napoleon Hill interviews 25 millionaires. Um, and the title suggests it's all about how to get rich. But actually, it's really about success mindset and what these you know, millionaires do differently. And um, one thing that I always remember is this idea that um, most people give up just before huge success occurs. 
So yeah, that idea mm. that before huge success, often you know, it does come failure or self doubt, and and all of those things that people don't necessarily realise about entrepreneurialism. So in that sense, George, um, I'm really intrigued to hear from you about this because I have you know a twin who's an entrepreneur and quite a lot of entrepreneurs around me. And have you been aware of people sort of um, having kind of like a sort of romantic vision of what it is to run a business, you know, long lunch breaks and loads of free yeah. time. Like what kind of things have you come across during your entrepreneurial journey in terms of others' assumptions? Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of that. I get a lot of, um, I mean, I obviously I know Elmi well and, you know, she's done a, um, I, I hear it's doing very well. And I imagine she has the same thing, which is basically, you know, you get people that come to you and say, oh, I'm so, oh god i wish i could set up my own business you know i i just couldn't do it and um mm. you know and they they're sort of in love with the idea and i think <clears throat> a lot of it is you know from the outside people like the idea of it i think essentially the reason people don't do it themselves is because the reality of running your own business is you you need to like the highs and lows mm. i think you know there's a trait in entrepreneurs or running your own business where you you know the 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 highs are the lows are really low but the highs are higher are, are better they sort of outdo the lows and i think mm. you know i a lot of uh, a lot of people like the idea that and and business does give you amazing flexibility you know on a on a friday if i decide i want to you know go with a family to uh you know out of town for the weekend early i can do that i'm not answering to anyone if I want to take holiday, I can take holiday. But the flip side of that is you never really switch off. Um, yeah. And, you know, you you also have to put a lot on the line and, and you kind of think, you know, whether it's personal guarantees or, you know, loans uh, or just time, um, mm -hmm. there are sacrifices that you have to make. Absolutely, George. And also, um, I remember listening to, actually to Lewis Howes' podcast, um, The School of Greatness, which is really inspiring if anyone hasn't listened to it and he interviews a lot of very successful people often they've had adversity like a lot of successful pe people have whether commercially or otherwise um, and I remember one of his guests saying you know people always assume that if you've made it big it, it just happened overnight but you know there are lots of stages to that like you said sitting on a you know roof in the dark you know unpeeling and sticking back on stickers um, and in in the last sort of sort of interview that we had George you very kind of candidly and I respect that you're very candid about you know the struggles that 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 you experienced earlier on around sort of cash flow or paying wages and would you agree that there are sort of inevitably going to be some challenges and sticking points early on but you know that there is kind of a shift in the journey um where you kind of learn the high mm. results producing stuff and you organically learn new things and then you can kind of monetize more effectively and and have more of that work-life balance is that something that resonates with you um yeah i think so i'd say i think that, that uh, interesting you talked about the um overnight success i mean that is the biggest myth yeah in business a hundred percent the biggest myth you know mm. all these overnight successes on the, well 99 percent of them took 10 15 years of hard work beforehand yes um so uh that's what i first say I, it does get easier and i think um you know, it's funny, isn't it? It's just, it's all psychological. You know, what do you as an individual get stressed by? Um, mm. You know, if I look back at what I was stressed about then, it's very different to what I'm stressed about now. Mm -hmm. um, I think the challenge, you know, the fact that now you've got a steady income, 
Um, you know, you've, you can pay the wages every month comfortably. It's a more exciting time in a way. Um, but then equally, you know, when it was, you look back fondly on the times when you were, you know, on the warehouse roof, or whatever, yeah. uh, putting bowls on, on, on it, because it's all part of the journey. And I think yeah. that's the way you've got to look at it without sounding too cheesy. It is a journey. Totally. And, um, you know, I would say um, it might not be what your listeners want to hear, but I found that running your own business, you've got a certain mindset. If you're competitive and driven, mm. you're always going to want to go to the next level. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the business is a lot bigger than what it was, but I'm still striving for the next level. And unfortunately, I think I'm one of those people that is always looking forward, mm-hmm. which is good, but it equally, it, it probably means that you don't sit back and relax. Yeah. That's really interesting, George. It's true, because I think if you want to be successful and stand out in a crowded market, you've got to almost go the extra mile, haven't you? But that's really interesting because what you just said is in direct contrast to a a podcast I was listening to before we chatted with Mark Groves, who's sort of like a human connection specialist, and he's a really accomplished guy. Um, And he was talking about the one of the key essences of happiness, learning how to be present in the moment. And it's almost like, yeah, that's one of the challenges of entrepreneurialism. As you say, you're striving to be better. You're thinking ahead. Whereas, you know, people like Mark Groves sort of speak highly of the importance of being in the moment and not thinking too much about the future or worrying too much about the past and being present. So that's a really interesting point you make. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I completely get where he's coming from. Ultimately, something I've always got to work on. And I hear quite a lot from entrepreneurs or not just entrepreneurs, but I think I was listening to Arsene Wenger's um, uh, Desert Island Discs the other day, you know, the Arsenal football manager. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you if you are competitive and you're striving at the next level, it is very difficult to balance that and be present in the moment sometimes. Yeah. I think I think the I think there's there is a balance. You've got to I mean for for people, <clears throat> you know, being strategic and thinking ahead and understanding how to prioritize mm-hmm. the bigger picture is really important. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's probably a lot to be said for being present in the moment and not worrying about stuff you you can't impact yeah. now, today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a um, conundrum, isn't it? Um, have you found, George, obviously you're very driven. I know you were a really, a really talented hockey player back in the day at uni, I'm sure you still are. Have you found... Um, How's your kind of work-life balance sort of journey been? Obviously, when you start a business, you know, like you say, you're pulling long hours often and digging deep. Have you found any, have you found that that shifted over time? Or have you found any kind of tricks to try and strike that balance, despite being obviously a very ambitious and successful guy? Um, well, no, I mean, I think, yeah, certainly not playing any more hockey. That, <laughs> that might, hockey days are long gone, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I've... Uh, I've tried, like, actually, the pandemic's been really good for that. And I'm sure you've heard that from other people. Mm. Um, I've got uh, a bike in the background that I do. Mm. I, I, I'm sort of, as my wife says, during the pandemic, I'm kind of self-sufficient up here. Uh, I've got sort of a bike, uh, 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 my computer. And if I'm working late, there's a, there's a spare bed here. But no, um, I think uh, trying to fit, I've found exercise is a really good way of me switching off. Mm. Um and and so some of the best thinking I do is when I'm running, mm. or um, 
you know, walking the dog or whatever. Uh, and I think it is important to have that. More, almost more important than the amount of time you work, I think, is having those um, breaks in the day. Mm. So whether it's, you know, going for a run at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, it really helps me to think positively yeah. um, and, and relax as well. Um, yeah. And obviously, I've got a young family, so... Uh, running a business and well having a young family is is challenging but yeah. you know I don't want to be looking back in a few years time and say I miss I've missed my kids growing up because I've been in the office so I try to <clears throat> I try to spend the weekends with the children mm -hmm. and and either spend time in the morning with them or in the evening yeah it sounds like you're doing a good job of, of juggling juggling all that um and George in terms of I know that I always think one thing I've learned from coaching is I would say fear is the most disabling emotion. It sort of stops people from doing things they want to um, for various reasons. And I imagine quite a common fear for people who have sort of fantasized about setting up their own businesses. Oh, I don't know enough about that industry or, well, I've got these skills, but I don't have those skills. Um, as I mentioned to you, Elmi, um, my sister um, runs an interior design business, has a business partner, and it works well because... They're quite different in terms of probably aspects of personalities and core strengths, which um, much like a romantic partnership, you know, it balances, it works well. Um, what would your kind of advice be? Do you have any advice for people who might be thinking about setting up a business and thinking, should I go out alone? Should I have a business partner? Like, how do I sort of maximize my skill set and ensure that I have like every base covered? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing I'd say is, um, you know, don't don't be scared of taking the plunge obviously do your research on a market or or um but but don't think i can't do that because i i mean take the pet industry for example mm -hmm. you know i didn't have a background in the pet industry mm. um actually going into the pet market without a background in the pet industry stood me in really good stead because people mm. that have been in the pet industry for you know 20 years or whatever just think like everyone else in the pet industry and mm. and i think having that fresh um take on on a market or a product is what will give you the edge um mm. in terms of going it alone i i think you, it really depends on your your psyche and, and your um your personality and your situation but i think having someone whether it's a business partner or a mentor or an mm. investor having someone to bounce ideas off having someone to uh to, to help when the chips are down um it just even if it's just someone to talk to i think it's really important um i think yeah. finding you know what i've found is surround yourself in great people mm. you know whether that's a mentor or if you are going you know selling off and you you're choosing a business partner you know you've got to find someone as you say that like an elmi situation where you've got someone that that uh, you know has completely different skill sets Mm. Um, but hope, hopefully it has a cultural fit or a personality fit yeah. um, with you um, because there's no point in having two people that are good at the same thing. Mm. Uh, you, you know, if, for example, I'm big on sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my business partner before uh, I started the business with Toby, he was a product designer and that was kind mm. of where he, his skill set and that really helped us early on. Mm. I bet. Um, very powerful. It's, it's, it's interesting what you just said about those different skills because i was going to say to you like how yeah how do you kind of bridge those gaps because obviously there are different aspects like a knowledge of the eco stuff the design stuff the kind of sales and marketing and uh, yeah it's just quite a few contrasting areas there it sounds like you've had a really good team of people who have worked well together 
Yeah, absolutely. I've um, very lucky. I've got um, uh, Rob Shaw, who's a, another director. Mm -hmm. He actually founded um, the clothes brand Jack Wills back wow. in the day, and um, he's uh, very much involved. And he comes at it from a retail perspective, uh, adds value as sort of his background was retail. So he's big on the mm. product and finding suppliers and sourcing the materials. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm more now sort of managing the, the whole business, but I'm also, we've got to that stage where as a business, we're, you know, needing to put in those, um, surround myself with people that are better than I am at, yeah. At, at, at certain tasks because mm. ultimately to start with the entrepreneur you are kind of a lone wolf you're trying to do everything you're the ultimate multitasker um you've got a reasonable knowledge of everything mm -hmm. but now to take the business to the next level i'm now looking to hire experts mm -hmm. with experience in each area yeah. um and i found that's really helped us in recent months to sort of con you know continue the, to scale yeah, that's that's really inspiring, George, even from my perspective, because it sounds counterintuitive because what you say makes perfect sense. You know, hire experts who have skills in areas that aren't your your you know your strengths necessarily. Um, but sometimes it can quite feel quite scary relinquishing control to people who know things that you don't. Um, does, mm. does that kind of resonate with you or not if you've obviously done that successfully? Yeah, no, yeah, completely. I, I think... Um... Yeah, you see it quite a lot. I I base I remember listening to one on, American entrepreneur who said, um, I can't remember who it was now, but he said he told the journalist, uh, I didn't go to Harvard, but I've employed lots of people that did, and <laughs> I thought that was quite a kind of that sort of sums it up. You ultimately yeah. you want the the best team possible, yeah. Um, and I think you know the often the the really successful entrepreneurs they have the vision. Mm. They have tenacity and uh, the, I guess, the confidence to, to take that vision on mm. and take the risk on. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they get people that are at the top of their game to, 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 to do, do what they're not good at. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've learned quite quickly the hard way yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of, you know, we, we've got to get that skill set into the business. And we've done that. And I'm hugely proud of our team. It's kind of, um, you know, they are they've, you know, many of them have been with us for years and they've grown with the company and they've learned so much. And, you know, ultimately a brand is people, right? Mm. And if you, um, you know, ultimately, if you don't have a good team, you don't have a good company. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's Absolutely. that's another piece of advice I'd give is make sure you you invest in your people. Absolutely, yeah. That, yeah, and I can feel that you do care about your people, which is really, really nice. It's important. Leadership is, it's by far, I think, the most influential factor on, well, yeah, commercial success, without a doubt, investing in your people. Um, and it's really inspiring what you said, George, about, you know, hire the people who have gone to Harvard. Obviously, you know, we don't literally mean, you know, you must have gone to brilliant universities <laughs> to be successful. But yeah, the idea of that idea of, I remember there was some sort of quote, like, you are the sum of the five people that you spend most of your time with. And that idea of being around people who lift you up and who, yeah, add value um, is really, really important. Um, a quick question, George, something that I've heard um, over the years from people is, you know, you need to, I couldn't set up a business because I would need, I don't know, to have family money or in huge amounts of investment. Um, obviously that's sort of maybe more of a niche question, but do you have like a, a sort of view on that? Do you need to have like a big stash of cash to launch a business? Do you need to have sort of big investors or does it, you know, how does it, work yeah i i know I, do, I don't think you do i think um i think at the moment there is um there's, 
I mean, and certainly in the private equity world, I mean, the, at the moment, it seems the trend is for businesses, um, fast growth businesses, all they care about is fast growth. They raise series A, series B, series C, huge amounts of money, and mm-hmm. they're willing to ultimately um, grow without making a profit. Mm. We've done it completely the opposite to that. It's grown very organically. Mm-hmm. Um, we've taken out personal loans, um, so I've retained equity. We've done it probably more slowly than other companies, mm-hmm. but as a result, we're sort of profitable and cash generative. And mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a balance between building something to sell and and actually building a business that's going to last for twenty or thirty years mm. or or hundred years. And, and we want BK to be around in 100 years, mm-hmm. not five years. But in terms of going back to your original question, sort of a digress there a bit, there is a lot of money around at the moment for people with good ideas. Mm-hmm. And you don't need hundreds of thousands or millions to start a business necessarily. You can start the business on a small scale. Mm-hmm. You can test a product online nowadays. Um, you get a prototype, you run some surveys, and just see what happens and scale it from there. Um, yeah. And you know, if you can find a friendly investor, and there are lots of friendly investors that are looking to invest in good ideas these days, mm-hmm. um, get them on board. If you can find a, a mentor, an investor, mm-hmm. get them on board, give, give a small amount of equity away. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm very much of the belief that you, you just take your time. It doesn't have to happen overnight. Um, and, and instead try and retain equity and, and build, build it uh, yourself. Yeah, awesome. That sounds um, kind of reassuring, actually, um, to hear. Um, and I read, George, which was really interesting, that you started out on the grad scheme, I think, was it at Bacardi? And you kind of got kind of exposure to a range of areas. Like how we have, we'll have some listeners who are younger and at that kind of university stage as well as older people. How helpful was that? Like, do you have any advice about the path that people should take? Should they sort of get that sort of experience or just jump into their own business? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because my um, I had this conversation with my nephew recently who mm-hmm. has just left university and um, was you know someone was trying to persuade him to go and do uh, a sort of uh, he was going to become management consultant at, yeah. or go on a grad scheme to be a management consultant and do that for a couple of years and set up his own business after that and then he said no I want to do it now and my my head was telling him you know, go and take the job at the management consultants, learn as much as you can about business in the first two or three years and then go and start the business. But my heart was telling me, you know, just tell them to, to, to take on the business from day one. Yeah. So uh, it's a tricky one. I, I decided to go to Bacardi because I'd finished uh, university and the options were basically go into the army, study, um, go into the city or set up or, or sort of work in a big FMCG business. Mm-hmm. And I sort of said, I remember talking to my dad and my dad's not an entrepreneur. He's a uh, surgeon oh. or retired surgeon. And he, he basically said, well, George, you know, what, what do you want to do in the end? I said, I want to run my own business. He said, well, go and work for a big business and learn, like, and learn, learn business. Don't go and work in the city or anything like that. And so that was a, the reason why I went down that route. Um, and I love Bacardi. It was a great place to, to, to learn things. I learned about marketing and sales and mm-hmm. um, obviously worked in the, the alcohol industry, which was fun. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> as, a, as a 20-something-year-old, yeah. And, uh, but actually, I probably learned more in the first six months of running my own business than I did in the, 
three and a half years I was at Bacardi. Mm. So, you know, my, my gut feeling is, you know, yes, you can go and get a bit of experience, but don't hang around too long, just crack on with it because the older you get, the, the further, not, not necessarily that age has, has to be a limiting factor, but mm. I think a lot of people probably say, I'll do this for a few years and then I'll set up my own business. But yeah. the problem is you don't get into a rat race of, oh, you know, now I can't afford to set up my own business. Yeah. Starting it early on was was quite a good decision for me, I think. Absolutely. And I really love what you said earlier as well, George, about how not having specific knowledge of the pet industry was actually an advantage, which that's really powerful because that will fly in the face of a lot of assumptions people would make. I need to know enough. Um, yeah, really, really powerful. Um, and George, I know that formally, and it may still be the case, and I think you said you still do, you look after the sales and marketing aspect of the business. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. And that's really interesting because... You know, something that I really like about you is you're very non, you know, pushy and I would, would never put you down as like a salesman or those sort of horrible cliches about pushy salesmen and slimy people with their own agenda. Um, and I think sales is something that a lot of people feel fear around. Could you kind of share with us like a couple of top tips that you've learned about around how to sell effectively? Yeah, um, well, I, <laughs> it's a funny story. I used to sell when we first started BK um, and we were we were having um quite a tough year i actually sold christmas trees wow door to door dressed as an elf in oh southwest london <laughs> so um if you want to learn about sales go and sell christmas trees door to door dressed as an elf mate i think um that uh what would i advise on sales i think that the best salespeople, um we've hired a few now and we've got a i think we've got about a team of eight salespeople. And I would just say that it's not necessarily the person that walks into a room and is, you know, cracking all the jokes and everyone's sort of, you know, holding court. Mm. Um, I've found the best salespeople are people that listen, understand mm. what the customer wants and needs and understands their business. Mm -hmm. And then is very methodical and strategic um, and delivers, always delivers on what they promise they're going to deliver on. And, I mean, it obviously depends what you're selling. If you're selling, um, you know, something on, on double glazing on the telephone, you're not going to be worried about necessarily a long-term relationship. But what we do with our retailers, it is very much about building a, a partnership mm. and a relationship to build the brand. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, understand your customer's needs, mm -hmm. build a relationship. Um, and, and then don't, but also be willing to challenge. So I, I find consultative challenger salespeople are much more successful than friendly salespeople, if that makes sense. So when I talk to my salespeople about going into a pet retailer, you, you know, again, that talks about industry experience. If you've been in the industry for many years, you're friendly with the, the retailers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're not willing to ask that difficult question or tell them that actually they're making the wrong decision, they should stop this product because it's going to build their business. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, that that approach is much more respected mm. than someone that always says yes or thinks of the customer first. So it's a balance, right? Mm. Um, but I think that sort of consultative, challenging approach is, is the best way to go. That's really powerful, George. So helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and it's, it's sort of coming from a place of integrity as well, acting in that sense, isn't it? Um, even though that might feel like a difficult conversation, yeah absolutely and and the great thing is you know i think if i was if i was going to start um a career in sales and 
we've both got a great mutual, well, a mutual friend from university who, who's in sales and he, uh, he's selling cyber security at the moment. Hmm. And, uh, and I just thought, you know, we were always sort of like, oh, he's selling, you know, IT services or whatever. And, and I hadn't appreciated how big a market it was. Yeah. And obviously how serious it is now I own my own business. Um, and, uh, and he's clearly passionate about the products he's selling. Mm. And I think it's easy if you're passionate about the products you're selling mm -hmm. and you believe in the product, then ultimately sales is very easy because you're helping the customer out. Um, and I think it's always good to flip it like that rather than I'm going into, you know, sell something and I'm hassling the customer. That makes sense. Totally. That's such good advice, George. Um, absolutely. Um, George, if you could just pick out very briefly the most high results producing activity that you've engaged in that's driven growth the fastest, what would it be? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, yeah, that's a difficult question. I think, do you know, it's not, it's probably not the answer. You know, I, I, I remember when we were in the early days, we, we had this moment where we were like, maybe we should just put all our money on a TV ad and then overnight will be a, a success. Thankfully, well, we're here today, so thankfully we didn't do that. Um, yeah. But uh, I think in terms of doing, um, asking your customer, I mean, it doesn't sound great, but the, the, it hasn't happened overnight, but improving products, so investing in, you know, understanding what, whether your product's working well or what the customer wants. So it's not so much investing money necessarily, it's time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that could be going on to, uh, I don't know, Amazon and looking through reviews of products. It mm. could be sending out a questionnaire to your customers to say, what do you like about this product? Or if we were going to launch a product, what would you, would you choose this product or that product? Investing in that early yeah. on, yeah, uh, making sure the product is as what you know, a hundred percent. That will that that is what has made the difference and given us the biggest return. Wow, without doubt. Powerful, the same as your previous point. Really, listening, listening, listening. Power of listening. Yeah. Amazing, George. Um, very near, nearly at the end now, George. This is such helpful stuff. Um, if I said to you, George, what's your definition of success? Um, success in the widest sense, what, what would come to mind? Um, yeah, I think being happy, well, I, I always find being fulfilled in what you do. I mean, without saying cheesy, I mean, I, I don't get up on a Monday morning and go, oh God, it's Monday. I'm really buzzing and I can't wait to go to work. And you know, for me, that's building a brand and having mm -hmm. and building a team and a legacy. So, mm. you know, I really do. That means more than necessarily revenue or profit. I mean, obviously, that's important because it allows us to build a brand. Mm. But doing something that I know is improving pets lives, dogs lives and the environment is massive for me. So mm. success, but I guess success mm. more philosophically, whether you are running your own business or um, you know, not running your own business. Ultimately, whatever you do, it's being fulfilled in what you do, wanting to go to work, mm -hmm. you know, life's too short not to want to do that. That's success and mm. um, challenging yourself every day. Um, mm. I don't know if that's kind of the okay, kind you. of answer you were looking for, but. No, that sounds spot on, George. Um, obviously, I do a lot of career coaching and it sounds so obvious, but a lot of people are very unhappy in their jobs or maybe not very, but not particularly happy in their jobs. 
And I, I think the main reason for that is people don't follow what excites them. Like you said, what actually yeah. excites you? If you're not excited, it's like love. If you're not excited by the thought of marrying someone, they're not right. It's the same with career. You know, it's five days a week. You've got to feel that excitement, haven't you, on some level? Absolutely. And that, and that ultimately will lead to success, I think. Absolutely, George. Gosh, you'd be such a good mentor for people. It's, um, you could sort of build a whole business out of this stuff, <laughs> out of advising. Yeah, wouldn't be able to compete with you. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you could. Easy peasy. So just to wrap up, George, um, where can our listeners find you? online or otherwise um, yeah absolutely so we are um we have a website becopets.com mm -hmm. and uh you can buy products there and find out about our business and and our team um and then also we're sort of stocked um in the uk nationwide through um sort of nationwide retailers like waitrose and Ocado and independent retailers and then also as i say we're we are global so we're in the us and we're in australia new zealand and many other markets um, so yeah, but becopets.com is probably the first place to go. Brilliant. And are you on Instagram as well? Yes, that's right. We've got Instagram um, page and, um, and also Facebook. Awesome. What an inspiring brand for sort of aspiring entrepreneurs to connect with and dog lovers, frankly, and planet lovers. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, thank you so much, George, for being here today. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. So many amazing pearls of wisdom. Well, then, Mel, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. I've really enjoyed it and catching up with you after so long. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, really been great fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, George, and hopefully chat in another five years <laughs> when you've taken over the world entirely. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mel. <laughs> Take care. Bye.